welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. I'm also the architect of the MMA Fight Archive, and if you like doing your own researching, predicting, and breaking down fights, the MMA Fight Archive, make sure that you leave no stone unturned with the amount of links we have to past fights for all these upcoming matchups for fighters competing on the Contender Series, UFC, Bellator, PFL, and this weekend... Obviously, we got LFA, KSW, CFFC, and Fury FC as well. So if you're looking for past fights or links to past fights for all the competitors on those upcoming cards, check out the MMA Fight Archive. Find out why more than 55 subscribers have signed up for the service. And there's over 2,200 fighter profiles for you guys to check out. Make sure you check it out. Link in the description below. Seven-day free trial to try it out for free. And then you can make your decision whether you want to sign up to it full-time or not. All right, this weekend we're going over Noche UFC, which is the UFC's attempt to commemorate the Mexican Independence Day uh, card, or this is something they want to do every year. So circle this date in terms of maybe the second or third event of every September is going to be for the UFC, uh, giving props to all the Mexican fighters uh, on the card. And obviously in the main event, we got one of their champions, Alexa Grasso, looking to defend her title against the woman that she snatched the title from earlier this year in Valentina Shevchenko. And this is a rematch again, like I said, of a fight that took place, I believe it was in March. Most of you guys remember that matchup where it was 2-1 going into that fourth round where Grasso was inevitably able to lock on to that uh, rear naked choke and get the submission win that night. It was a huge upset, plus 600 on Alexa Grasso that night, yet she was still able to get the job done. Just showcasing this year how many upsets there actually have been. I believe they, they've said that the statistic now is nine times we've heard uh, and knew this year in the UFC. So there's a ton of upsets happening a ton of new champions and we just saw that last weekend as well with Sean Strickland going out there and thoroughly pummeling Israel Adesanya over 25 minutes to win the middleweight title got a couple other fun fights on the card not to mention the co-main event between Kevin Holland and Jack Della Maddalena no Mexicans in that matchup regardless they fight out they go out there and fight like Mexicans and the fact that they usually put on very entertaining fights and I'm expecting exactly that so I can't wait to break down that fight for you guys before we do so let's quickly go over the lock of the night and dog of the night predictions for the last card just to uh, update the records here lock of the night comes through very easily less than a minute uh Shane Young versus Gabriel Miranda. Fight doesn't go to decision. I believe the number I got was minus 175. That cashes. Regional show lock of the night's cash as well. And that now pushes our lock of the night prediction record to 78 and 23 on the year. Very happy with that with a 77% hit rate. I want to continue to hammer at that and hopefully hit 80% by the end of the year. But let's keep the train rolling. The dog of the night also hits, which was the same card or the same fight. But I saw that the under one and a half was available on Bet Online earlier in the week. And that line was plus 165. I made it my dog of the night prediction as well. And we cash on that. Uh, I believe, it was, like I said, plus 165. Beautiful number. The fight took less than a minute to actually uh, conclude. 
I, great. I'm very, very happy about that. That pushes our dog of the night record now to 41 and 60 for a 41% hit rate. If you want to see the exact statistics in regards to what the dog of the night uh, predictions have been doing, make sure you guys check out the top three dog of the night candidate video that I drop normally on Wednesdays. Now with the contender series taking up Mondays for your boys content schedule. If you guys are looking for LFA breakdowns, which also goes down this week, I might actually be at the card myself as it's uh, close to my neck of the woods. Uh, I'll be doing written breakdowns for that card strictly on the Patreon. Check the link in the description below if you want to see what I'm thinking, how I'm figuring that these fights are going to go, and who I think is going to come out on top, as well as what the lock of the night and dog of the night predictions are going to be for those uh, matchups. So check it out. And lastly, shout out to the guys over there at Godzilla Wins, giving your guy a platform to uh, drop written breakdowns for you guys on a weekly basis. So on Wednesdays, we drop the main event prediction. Uh, and then Thursdays, we do the three best money line predictions as well. So uh, I usually uh, populate the description below. Uh, as soon as those articles go live on the websites, I'll come back to this video and update the links in the description so you guys can check it out yourself and see where I am leaning. All right. A ton of fights to actually only 11 fights to get through for this card. I can't wait to get started. So let's get right into it. First fight of the night, Josephine Knudsen going up against Marnik Mon. Uh, very intriguing fight here considering the fact that both of these women were Dana White Contender Series alums who didn't get contracts on the UFC. But Knudsen was a very intriguing one because she was the only fighter to not get a contract on her episode. But a week later, they needed somebody to fill in against Yasmin Lucindo who's going to be fighting on this card. So they called on the on, on Knudsen to jump in on short notice here. And luckily, she is able to get her contract with the UFC, even though it didn't come through the Contender Series. Uh, unfortunately, Lucindo uh, dropped out of this matchup and in-step Marnik Mann, who last year fell short to Bruna Brasil on the Contender Series, and she got knocked out that night. She went to the regional scene for LFA, picked up a win over there, and now is being... Uh, uh, subbed in for Yasmin Lucindo so that she can make her UFC debut and ensure that Knudsen can still go out there and get a fight under her belt. Knudsen, very strong striker. She comes from a Muay Thai background and she fights like a ball of fire. It's weird to me that she doesn't have uh, many finishes on her record considering how aggressive she normally is. She looks to walk her opponent down and put big punches on them, mess them up in the clinch, use knees, use elbows, and just really put the hurting on them. But she doesn't seem to have that knockout power to really put these women away on the flip side with Marduk Mann she's more of a grappler she's a wrestler she's a lifelong athlete who has competed in many different sports but over the last several years has taken a liking to wrestling and that's how she fights in her uh, whenever you see her throw down inside the cage uh, Knudsen I have a little bit of an issue with her grappling game a little bit you know even though she's undefeated and she showcased uh, you know solid resilience when she gets put on her back I wish we see a little bit better improvements from her in terms of her processes to get back to her feet because that will allow her to keep fights in the realm where she feels most comfortable again she's yet to taste defeat so nobody hasn't been able to wrestle her enough to give her her first loss but maybe Marnik Mann is the fighter to do so before researching this fight I really thought I was going to lay the 
chalk on Knutson, but then I remembered that she doesn't have the greatest track record in terms of being grappled. Uh, and Mon is probably the best grappler she's going to face at this point in time. But I'm still going to lean with Knutson here. I think that she's going to be too strong for Mon, which is probably one of the red flags in Mon's game, especially with the wrestling background that she had. She's just not that strong in terms of maintaining the position against a lot of these opponents. And considering that Knutson is a tank of a woman and the power and aggression that she fights with, I think Mon is going to have a very bad time trying to contain the fireball that is Knutson. So give me Knutson, and I think she wins this fight by decision. Until she goes out there and starts getting legitimate finishes, I'm going to continue to believe that she goes out there and wins by decision. So that's what the prediction will be there. Next fight up. We got Alex Reyes going up against Charlie Campbell. Now, Alex Reyes has not competed in the UFC in over six years. He was actually scheduled to make a return earlier this year, but then tore a ligament in his hand, which forced him out of that matchup. And now here he is, six years to the date that he made his UFC debut back in 2017 when he got knocked out in 79 seconds by Mike Perry. That night, Alex Reyes came in on super short notice. I believe it was only a three-week turnaround from the previous fight that he had on the regional scene, all to go out there and get knocked out by Mike Perry. Now, the reason he was out for five years initially was due to the fact that he had a lot of, uh, or sorry, apparently he went through stem cell recovery, but also got an infection in his, in his spine, which hindered his ability to train and really do much that he needed to do to prepare for MMA matchups. It took him five years to get over it. He's finally over it. Like I said, tore that ligament in his earlier this year completely recovered from that now and now here he is trying to make his return and Reyes yes that may uh, remind some folks of Dominic Reyes yes it is his brother uh, I believe all of their siblings actually compete but those two are the only ones to ever make it to the UFC uh, he's a decent striker has some good power in his hands has a nasty arm triangle choke he's been able to compete or complete on the regional scene the guy's fun to watch. He's a finisher, uh, but I really don't know what it's going to look like for him coming back after six years away from the cage and about to turn 37 uh, next month. His opponent, Charlie Campbell, is a guy that came up short on the Contender Series last season, and it was a hell of a fight that he had against Chris Duncan. That's the closest I've ever seen a fighter get to achieving a contract and then having it flipped on him, and then he ends up getting knocked out. He had Duncan on Wobbly Street for a solid uh, you know, 60 seconds, 65 seconds, before Duncan was able to land a beautiful counter when Campbell got a little bit too reckless, and we saw Duncan able to get his hand raised by knockout that night, and then inevitably earned the UFC contract as well but Campbell took off some time came back on the regional scene for CFFC in June and pulled off a big knockout victory over Josh Streaker who was doing a very good job on the regional scene picking up some uh, emphatic wins uh, and wasn't looking too bad either and then Charlie Campbell was able to go out there batter the lead leg of him utilizing his calf kicks which is pretty much synonymous with Charlie Campbell at this point in time for those of you that have been watching him for a while and then he started to open up with his hands find that knockout blow and get get the win that night i was kind of surprised to see him as a minus 400 favorite going into this matchup even as much of a fan as i am of campbell however it's going to be tough for reyes to overcome everything that he's had to overcome and then try to go out there and get a victory on the ufc or the mma's biggest stage in the world especially against a guy like charlie campbell who wants to go out there and put on a statement in his first ufc matchup but what i'm thinking the most here is probably fight doesn't go to decision i know it's very chalky here but i feel like this is one of those spots that one of these guys is just going to have a minor slip up and 
somebody's going to be able to get the finish. I fully expect that to be Campbell to get the finish. I think you'll be able to beat up the lead leg of Alex Reyes, slow him down, and then eventually open up with the hands where you'll be able to find the knockout, especially against a guy who still has ring rust. A guy's trying to get his timing in live action, not the guy you want to try to get your timing down with in Charlie Campbell. So give me Campbell, Campbell by knockout. Under one and a half might be a little bit sketchy as it might take Campbell a round or two to get his feet under him and really start to damage that lead leg. But fight doesn't go to decision. I feel like is a surefire spot you can throw into parlays in this fight so or on this card. So give me Charlie Campbell by knockout. Next up, and I'm very puzzled why this fight is so early on in the card considering how high level these women are and how close they are to, to title contention. We got Tracy Cortez going up against Jasmine Jazduvisius. We haven't seen Tracy Cortez in action in over 16 months as she was scheduled to fight Amanda Hibas at the end of the year last year, but uh, some sort of medical issue forced her out of that matchup. And now here she is, fully healthy, ready to get going again. And she couldn't have asked for it to be on a better card on Noche UFC. But Tracy Cortez is one of the best wrestlers that this division has to offer. I believe, uh, you know, if Tatiana Suarez is really going back down to 115 pounds and settling there, Tracy Cortez is probably the best wrestler in this division at this point in time. And that's what she leans on. She's very good at closing the distance, getting in on the hips of her opponents, dragging them to the mat, and just putting them through the grind. Her striking is kind of improving. She does have some good combinations, but it's obvious that she does her best work when she's able to get the grind going. Her opponent this weekend, Jasmine Jazduvisi, has pulled off a big upset in her last matchup, going out there and defeating Miranda Maverick, who had a lot of trouble getting her own grappling off, and Jazduvisi has showed off that she had a pretty good grappling game of her own. Now, Jazz Davisius trains out of one of the emerging gyms in Canada, Niagara Top Team. The one thing that they're known for is wrestling. Brock University, which is not too far from Niagara Top Team, uh, is known as one of the best wrestling universities in Canada. And a lot of those guys go over there to Niagara Top Team to train and get the rest of these fighters ready. That's why you see Jasmine pulling off a lot of these uh, you know, sneaky moves, trips, and throws, especially in that fight against Miranda Maverick to get her hand raised. But I think she's going to be a step behind Tracy Cortez here, who's just a little bit better in the wrestling realm, at least in my opinion. I might be proved wrong here, but I really think that we'll see Cortez do a good job in terms of closing the distance and implementing her or imposing her will against Jazz Duvisius here who might have some issues in that realm. Again, Jazz Duvisius, very impressive. And I'm, uh, I'm kind of hoping that I'm wrong in this aspect, but I think that people are getting ahead of themselves uh, in terms of her win over Miranda Maverick and kind of forgetting how good Tracy Cortez is as well. So maybe some recency bias here as to why we're getting a decent line on Tracy Cortez. I've already pulled the trigger and I feel like she's still a good spot up to that minus uh, minus 170-ish range. I think she'll have a decided advantage in the grappling and we'll see it on full display this weekend. So give me Cortez by decision. Next up, we got a banger here between Edgar Chires and Daniel Lacerda. Edgar Chires made his short notice UFC debut earlier this year where he ended up giving 10 minutes of control time to Mr. Tatsuro Tyro, who's been doing that to pretty much all of his opponents. Not just that, but also finishing his opponents. But Chires was showcasing good enough submission defense, grappling defense to stay in this fight long enough to see the judges' scorecards. But unfortunately for him, he was unable to get his hand raised. But he's a very impressive fighter. His fight on the contender series last season in 2022 against Clayton Carpenter, where he came in as a massive massive underdog just showcased how good this guy could be 
he made Clayton Carpenter earn that UFC contract as it was a very close fight and he landed a lot of damage. He's a very aggressive striker and a sneaky submission game as well, just as he showed in his Fury FC title winning bout uh, earlier this year. Uh, he trains out of the Entrim team gym, uh, has been alongside Brandon Moreno for a long time as well. He's a very dangerous fighter and a very aggressive fighter as well. Daniel Lacerda is one of those fighters who is getting the special treatment from the UFC due to the entertaining style that he brings to the cage. He's currently on a four-fight losing streak, which a lot of UFC fighters don't normally see as they normally get cut after their, their third straight loss. But considering how close that Lacerda has come to finishing his opponents in the first round and then eventually delivering on entertaining performances, it seems like the UFC was like, you know what, let's just give this guy a shot. He seems like he's out there to... Uh, entertain more than he is to win and sometimes we kind of value that more than anything he's very aggressive in the early goings of his fights he has a lot of power in his strikes he almost finished CJ Vergara last time around until he ended up gassing out after throwing the kitchen sink at Vergara and then eventually got finished himself at the ending of the second round I love Lacerda in terms of the fact that I love playing his violence bets 14 of his 16 professional MMA fights have finished under one and a half rounds the other two Finished in the second round, but over that one and a half round mark, including his last performance against CJ Vergara. But that's a spot that I'm always going to take a shot on in Lacerda fights. The guys like Terrence McKinney, like Gabriel Miranda last week. A guy that goes out there and either gets the kill or goes out on his shield early. And I'm expecting him to go out on his shield, unfortunately, here against Edgar Chirez, who's a very talented fighter, very aggressive, has shown great durability thus far. And I feel like he's going to be able to make Lacerda work and eventually get that finish at the end of the first round. So give me under one and a half but give me Chiraz Chiraz inside the distance he can get the choke he can get the the knockout doesn't matter don't get picky just take the inside the distance and let's call it a day next up we got Josh Fremd going up against Roman Kopilov very intriguing fight here we got Kopilov in trenches a near minus 300 favorite Josh Fremd coming in as a pretty big dog We'll start off on the Frem side here, who is a Factory X product. As you guys know, I'm a big fan of the guys over there and what they're doing with their gym. And I think that Frem is really starting to showcase who he is as a fighter. We saw him go out there last time around and defeat Jamie Pickett over 15 minutes. And he did a great job in terms of controlling him, utilizing his cage-pushing game that he's so good at, but also his takedowns and his ability to dominate his opponents from on top. He has a very sneaky uh, submission game as well with his front chokes, his dart chokes, and his guillotine chokes, which allows him to get opponents back to the ground, especially when they're trying to work on their base and get back to their feet. His striking is long and rangy, but he does a great job in terms of throwing high and then changing levels to get in on takedowns to get his opponents to the mat. And I think he hasn't shown the best of himself yet. You know, I think he still has a little bit more to prove, and I think that we're going to see him continue to evolve, especially with him gaining more and more confidence every time he steps in the cage. His opponent this weekend, Roman Kopilov, has really started to put things together after going 0-2 in his first two UFC fights. He now finds himself on a three-fight winning streak with all of those finishes coming by, or all those fights coming by finish, all those wins coming by finish. He's very good in terms of putting his punches together, working the body, using his kicks, and then throwing combination striking to the head so that he can hurt his opponents and then start to swarm them and get them out of there. Now, even though he has finishes in the second and third rounds during this current winning streak, I still feel he has a little bit of a cardio issue, but he's been benefiting from the fact that his opponents are also slowing down as well. He's a guy that we saw put his hands on his hips before he finished Punahale Soriano in the second round of their fight. Makes you kind of wonder what happens if he gets dragged into deep waters and if he can still have success in the third round against a guy that has better cardio. 
And I think that's what he's facing this weekend against Josh Fremd. As I think Fremd can do a good enough job in terms of wearing on him. You know, the cage push, the the dragging him to the ground, uh, consistently just staying in his face and, and keeping him on the back foot. As long as Frem's durability holds up in this spot, I feel he can go out there and get the win here. Whether it's a third-round finish or even him winning this fight by decision, I feel like Frem is the side. I, I see so many people on the Kopilov side, and don't get me wrong, I'm a Kopilov fan myself. You know, I, I've cashed him in past fights as well, but... I think that this is a bad matchup for him. Uh, you know, people can say that Puno was a solid enough wrestler where we saw Kopilov stop his takedowns, keep the fight standing, and eventually get his finish. But I think that Frem does a better job in terms of closing the distance and not making his uh, wrestling attempts or shot attempts as um, as obvious as Puno was. So, um, yeah, look, look for Frem to... To, to utilize his range striking, try to close the distance, wear on uh, Kopilov inside the clinch, and then start landing those takedowns and really wearing on Kopilov and potentially getting a second or third round finish. I think I'm going to make the decision prop my favorite uh, method of victory here for Fremd, but I'm absolutely certain that we could see a possible third round finish here from Josh Fremd. So minus 240 on his money line, I'm more than happy with that. I think he's going to be the big underdog that swings the upset this weekend. All right, moving on. We got Lupita Godinez going up against Elise Reed. This should be a one-sided beatdown. If Lupita Godinez goes out there and does what she's supposed to do, now I'm not going to wear on her too much here, especially in that fight that she had against Angela Hill. A lot of people just see that she went 0 of 2 on takedown attempts and wonder why she didn't shoot more takedowns. But we got to give some credit to Angela Hill, who utilized great footwork, and she was fainting uppercuts and knees, which kept Lupita Godinez on the outside. And that forced her to strike more, and we obviously know that Hill is the much better technical striker between the two. But Godinez's striking is not that bad either. She has great boxing, and she has perfect timing as well in terms of when to throw combinations and when to crash the pocket to start throwing those combinations but going up against Elise Reed here who doesn't look like she has a lot of power if you're just looking at her resume uh, on paper but she throws with a lot of heat and can really sting her opponents so I'm surprised that she doesn't have more finishes similar to uh, Josephine Knudsen who fights earlier on in the card but I feel that Godinez can go out there, land the takedowns that she needs. If you look at all the losses that Elise Reeds has on her record, they're coming from fights that eventually get taken to the ground and she gets finished. For God's sakes, she got submitted by a Muay Thai fighter and Loma Lukbumi in her last fight. And not to mention, she's been alternating wins and losses since coming into the UFC and she won her last fight. And if the trend continues, more than likely she's going to lose this fight. But I'm not a guy that reads too much into that uh, side of the, the coin. But uh, I think that this is a great fight for Godinez. She should go out there, n- just absolutely know that she has a tremendous wrestling advantage over Reed. And once she gets her to the ground, I think it looks worse than any other of Reed's losses on, in the uh, UFC to, to Sajar Eubanks, to, to Loma Lukbunmi. Um, and the other one is kind of uh, escaping me at this moment in time as well. But I really like Godinez to go out there, drag this fight to the ground, and do damage from on top, and win this fight inside the distance. Next up, we got Fernando Padilla going up against Kyle Nelson. Padilla made his successful UFC debut earlier this year, where he knocked out Julian Arosa in a minute and a half. It was a fantastic fight where we saw him utilize his range striking, pinpoint striking, and he was so accurate in terms of getting to the target that he eventually hurt Julian Rosa, and he followed up with big shots and eventually got him out of there. It was a very impressive performance by the debuting Padilla, who was dealing with uh, visa issues for over 
you know, close to two years. Like, this is a guy that was supposed to make his UFC debut in October 2021, but unfortunately, visa issues uh, kept him out of the U.S., and he finally got him ready to go. And, uh, yeah, I was very happy that he did because this guy is a finisher. 13 of his 15 victories have come inside the distance, and I think he continues that trend this weekend. His opponent this weekend, Kyle Nelson, is a guy that looked to save his UFC career in 2023 when it looked like he was on the way out. He was on a two-fight losing streak, and then coming into 2023, he went up against Duho Choi and luckily got a draw that night and then went out there and had the performance of a lifetime against Blake Builder back in March, I believe it was. I could be off on the timing of that, but it was earlier this year where we saw him have a tremendous performance. He stopped all the takedown attempts of Builder, and he was able to utilize his striking advantage to hurt Builder on new numerous occasions and eventually get the finish or sorry get get the win by decision but that's his style you know he can't be the grappler that he tried to be in the Jai Herbert fight he needs to be the guy that uh, goes out there and did what brought him to the dance and that's his striking looking for knockouts walking his opponents down and utilizing big strikes and he has the opportunity to potentially catch Padilla here but I think that Padilla will have the the obviously the the reach advantage that's without a doubt but also the 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 speed advantage um and the ability to keep uh Kyle Nelson at the end of his punches not to mention he has advantages pretty much everywhere else that this fight goes. You know, I don't expect Padilla to look to take this fight to the ground, but should this fight hit the mat, I think his jiu-jitsu is far superior to what Kyle Nelson brings to the table. So I, I like Padilla in this spot. I think we'll see him utilize his combination striking to touch up Kyle Nelson from distance, and then I fully expect him to get him out of there probably by the second round. I'm going to say by club and sub, uh, but Padilla inside the distance is not a bad way to attack it either. Violence is what I'm thinking here, under two and a half. Padilla by sub. All right, next up, great fight here between Daniel Zellhuber and Christos Yagos. Now, Zellhuber is looked at as one of those guys that could be the next big Mexican star, but he's pretty much disappointed in his UFC debut where he ended up losing to Trey Ogden. He couldn't get going that night. It seemed like he had a, had trouble, you know, really getting his ignition going. Uh, it seemed very hesitant in terms of throwing his strikes. And then the UFC still decided to give him a step up in competition in his following fight, and he passed it with flying colors as he went out there and defeated Lando Venato over 15 minutes. That's where we saw Zell Huber at his best. A guy that was very consistent with his kicks, his output, his volume, throwing his jab out there and really touching up the face of Venata, painting a picture with the, the blood, just absolutely touching him up, um, doing a great job of utilizing his kicks to maintain his distance as well, and just utilizing his footwork, pivoting off and angles, and that just allowed him to you know, put together a great performance to pick up that decision win that night. He's going up against Christos Yagos, who is normally a grappler, a wrestler, a guy that looks to overwhelm his opponents with his size, with his strength, and with his ability to ground his opponents. But last time around, he went out there and knocked out Ricky Glenn. It was very intriguing to hear the commentators talking about Yagos wanting to trust his power and his striking more. And it worked out for him a minute and a half into that matchup when he put Ricky Glenn on Wobbly Street and eventually got him out of there. I still think that Zell Huber is deciding this matchup. Maybe not with the amount of chalk that he's on, but I feel like this is a spot that he can go out there and get the finish. I feel like Yagos is a guy that will resort to his grappling here after he realizes that his striking is going to be a little bit too wild to try to touch and hurt the very elusive Daniel Zell Huber. 
I think Zell Huber's footwork and his range management is going to be too much for Yagos in this spot. And Yagos will revert back to his wrestling, which he might have a little bit of success with here. But I think that we've seen enough from Zell Huber to know that this guy is not going to settle for a bad position, which will force Yagos to start to slow down, start to gas out. And Zell Huber should start to pick up the, uh, the productivity, the efficiency, and the striking in that third round and look to get Yagos out of there. So give me Zell Huber by finish, more so than his money line here, as Yagos could have some early success to make this fight close than it should be but I expect Zell Huber to go out there and to put a clinic on him in the deep in deep waters and get that finish next up we got the return of Raul Rosas Jr. as he goes up against Terrence Mitchell now Rosas Jr. last time around fumbled the bag as a pretty big favorite over Christian Rodriguez but if you were in the know that you knew that Christian Rodriguez was going to be his toughest test to date and he was going to really make him work in that fight. And I was glad that I was able to get that near plus 200 line on Rodriguez that night to pick up the victory. But Rosas Jr., even at 18 years old, is going to be very difficult for a lot of fighters to deal with, especially considering the type of style that he has. He's very smothering and does a great job of getting his opponents to the mat and just finding a finish. He's very nasty with his chokes, has great ground and pound when he can posture up in a dominant position, and I fully expect him to have a very easy fight here against the, against the Alaska FC product, Terrence Mitchell. It was surprising to me to see Terrence Mitchell get a shot in the UFC when he faced... Um, Cameron Simon earlier this year and we saw Simon dispose of him in roughly two minutes of that matchup it's very easy to get this guy to the ground and I fully expect Rosas to have no problems doing that here against Mitchell and from there he should be able to find that dominant position to put Mitchell away Mitchell has a pretty record right I think it's like 15 and 3 or something like that but if you look at the opponents that he's been facing he's been facing the bums of the Alaska regional scene who usually make guys like him and Earl Schmidich and uh, Victor Rodriguez if you remember that guy they make them look so good but when they face legitimate competition as he has against Kai Car France who knocked him out in 30 seconds as he did against Cameron Simon as we saw him get finished in two minutes and as we're gonna see him this weekend get finished by Raul Rosas Jr. in that first round I love the under one and a half here which is super chalky but I think that Rosas Jr. goes out there gets the perfect matchup here in Mitchell and gets back to his winning ways gets back that confidence so that he can continue to build back up and try to get to that championship level that a lot of people believe that he can get to he just needs experience against high level opponents and he's not getting a high level opponent here he just needs his confidence back and I think he does it very easily against Terrence Mitchell. First round finish for Raul Rosas Jr. Next up, co-main event time. And this one has the MMA community split because it has two of the biggest favorites usually on every card. We got Kevin Holland going up against Jack Della Maddalena. Both of these guys are always north of minus 200 when they fight because the public loves them so much. And sometimes they should not be that high of a favorite, but they still go out there and get the job done no matter what. Now that they are faced against each other, it was going to be intriguing to see which side the public is siding with. And it seems like they're siding with the Jack Della Maddalena side. Now, we'll start off on the Holland side first, who's coming off that spectacular win over Michael Chiesa, where he was able to stop the takedown attempts, batter him from distance, and eventually finish that darts choke where he was able to get the submission victory. Uh, Kevin Holland, obviously, we know he operates best when he is utilizing his range and pinpoint striking his opponents from distance, where he's able to really hurt them with this sniper-like approach. But he also has a nasty choke game, as he showed in the Michael Chiesa fight. I like the improvements that he's been showing in his defensive grappling and the aspect that he likes to lower his uh, base uh, and just keep his range and keep his hips away from his opponent as much as possible, which makes it hard for them to get on his hips. And then from there, he just lets go with the strikes and makes it very easy in terms of getting his opponents out of there. 
On the flip side for Jack Della Maddalena, he had a very close fight against UFC short, uh, UFC debutant short notice replacement Basil Hafez last time around, who got him to the ground with relative ease in the first two rounds, but was unable to secure the decision victory as Jack Della Maddalena did enough damage in the second and third rounds to get his hand raised. But it was a closer fight than the what minus 500, minus 600 in it had indicated for Maddalena that night. But Madalena is one of the most crisp boxers that we've seen in the UFC in a long time. This guy marches his opponents down, utilizes beautiful bodywork, and then gets up to the head when he needs to start to look to put his opponents away. He's so smooth with his striking and very methodical in how he looks to pick his opponents apart. However, I think he's going to struggle to do that against his toughest opponent to date this weekend in Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland should do a good enough job with his jab and his straight shots down the pipe to keep Madalena at distance and I wouldn't be surprised to see Kevin Holland look to get his grappling going either and I see a lot of pushback from people thinking that hey if Kevin Holland did not grapple against Wonderboy Thompson what makes you think that he's going to do it against Madalena well it's just that I think it's the fact that Holland learned his lesson from the Wonderboy fight realized that if he had taken the grapple heavy approach that night it would not have gone as bad for him as it did that night and if he's going to look to do the same thing here against Madalena utilize the striking for a little bit and then maybe chain some wrestling behind it look to get the back of Madalena utilize the jiu-jitsu maybe it works out better for him so give me the underdog shot here on Holland who I think he has more paths to victory here and I think he has a good enough striking game to compete against Jack Della Maddalena make this close uh, make this a closer fight at a 50-50ish fight and give me the underdog on Holland see him give Maddalena his first UFC loss this weekend I think it ends up happening by decision as we see Holland be calm and methodical throughout and pick up this win based on more damage from Kevin Holland and that brings us to our main event of the evening where we got the flyweight title on the line between Alexa Grasso as she goes up against the women that she took the fight or took the belt from in Valentina Shevchenko. Now, Alexa Grasso and Shevchenko, like I said, they met earlier this year in March, the Coleman event for UFC 285, the night John Jones captured the heavyweight title over Cyril Ghosn. Alexa Grasso won the first round pretty handily in terms of utilizing her striking, her volume approach, and that was too much for Shevchenko to handle early. But in the second and third rounds, we saw Shevchenko stop messing around. We saw her utilize her grappling, get this fight to the ground, and utilize her crushing top pressure to control the majority of the second and third rounds and win those two rounds. But it was that fourth round where it started to get closer, and it seemed like the shots of Shevchenko were coming a little bit slower, but I think it had to do with the fact that she was so... Um, so dead set on trying to get the takedowns rather than getting comfortable with her striking again so that the takedowns can come easier just like they did in the second and third rounds. But Grasso was keeping her distance, utilizing her distance striking as well, and then eventually caught Shevchenko slipping. Shevchenko loves to throw that spinning back kick to the body, and we've seen from training footage now from Grasso that she was training specifically that, waiting for that opening of the spinning back kick so that she can take the back of Valentina, and from there, she was able to drag her to the ground and sink in that rear naked choke to eventually get the tap with less than a minute left in that fourth round. It was a spectacular performance and finish from Alexa Grasso, who came in as a plus 600 underdog that night. Can she pull off the upset once again as she finds herself as a plus 140 underdog this weekend? I'm not so certain. I think we'll see Valentina make the championship improvements and adjustments required for her to get the title back. The big difference and what we clearly saw in the first fight was the grappling advantage that Shevchenko had. Maybe she looks to get that going a little bit earlier here. 
Maybe she gets a takedown in the first, second, or third round, uh, or all three of those rounds where she's able to bank those rounds and then do enough to stay safe in the fourth and fifth rounds, not get knocked down, not get hurt too badly, and not get submitted, and then go on to win this fight by decision. So if you were comfortable playing minus 800 on Shevchenko earlier this year, you should be counting your blessings the fact that you're getting at minus 160 this time around. Now, I got to be honest, I'm getting a little bit of cold feet considering the fact that this seems like a similar situation to the Kamaru Usman and Leon Edwards two fights that we had where we had Kamaru pretty much winning that fight up until the last round and then he gets caught with a head kick. And I'm like, hey, we're getting a discounted price on Usman going into this next fight. Let's take him again. And we saw huge improvements from Leon Edwards in terms of his takedown defense and keeping that fight upright. What kind of improvements are we going to see from Grasso here? Is it the confidence? Is it her ability to get back to her feet a little bit quicker when she gets taken down? I'm not sure, but I still see the advantages in Shevchenko's corner, and I feel like she's going to be strong enough and maybe make the adjustments required. Again, just trust her striking a little bit more to eventually open up the takedown opportunities, which is where she showed her dominance in the first fight, and which is where she's been showing her dominance over the last several fights that she's had defending her title. So give me Shevchenko and New to regain her title this weekend, and I think she does it by decision. There you guys go. Breakdowns on all 11 fights for this UFC or Noche UFC card. I'm going to keep messing that up all week as I do the rest of the segments for this card. But I appreciate everybody checking out the content as always. Appreciate everybody showing the love for the Contender Series breakdowns and not to mention the uh, Quick Picks breakdowns as well, which I started uh, last week. Uh, it takes a little bit more editing, but I'm very happy to do so because it seems to really catch the eye of a lot of the viewers and I'm going to continue to do that. In terms of the MMA logcast, we're going to keep it as this format. We're going to keep the graphics up the way that I do and show you guys the quick uh, stats that you need to know on the fighters. Uh, but if you want the ones with the, the videos and all that stuff, that's going to be strictly for the quick picks and the contender series breakdowns. Uh, drop a like and subscribe below if you haven't already. Drop a comment as well. Let me know what you're thinking for this weekend. And uh, I'll be back tomorrow with a ton of more content for you guys. Top three lock of the night candidates. Top three dog of the night candidates. The locky two-step. Uh, three best uh, money line. Oh, sorry. Three best prop bets. And then lastly, the quick picks as well. If you want to hear all these way more condensed rather than the 40-ish minutes that I normally go. Because I could talk forever about these fights. I love uh, researching these fights as much as I do. And I just want to give you guys as much information as possible for you guys to make your own educated uh, predictions as well. All right, that's a wrap on the podcast. Appreciate all the love, appreciate all the support, and I'll see you guys tomorrow. Peace. Last thing.